The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform, attracting online game makers, social networks, and plenty of investment. And sure, there's lots of hype surrounding the metaverse, but there's also lots of substance, development, and exciting trends. On this podcast series, Into the Metaverse, brought to you by Bloomberg Intelligence, we will break down the biggest developments and bring on the most interesting minds who are building, investing in, and experiencing the metaverse. Hello, Into the Metaverse listeners. This is episode number six, and we're very excited. This is a special episode that we have uh, with Craig Donatos, the Chief Business Officer of Roblox. These are very exciting times uh, that we've been following Roblox over the last few weeks. Uh, today with me is, as always, my co-host, uh, Matthew from Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm Jan, co-founder and CEO of Super Social, and we're excited to have Craig with us uh, today. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for joining us for this special episode. It's my pleasure. I'm excited. So the first thing we'd like to start with every guest that join us on the podcast is to kick off the conversation is from your perspective and from Roblox's perspective, how do you define the metaverse or as Roblox calls it sort of human co-experience platform? And essentially what we love to start the episode with is how do you guys define the metaverse and also what isn't the metaverse for mm. Roblox, which is no less important question. I like to think of it in, in, in three ways. Um, the first is the, the nature of the experiences themselves. And I think they're, we, we define them as both experiences that are immersive. Your mind's eye is transported into the experience and that they're social. They're, they're, they're being done with other people. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of times when we talk about this dimension, people jump to the immersion part as the part that's kind of gating adoption of the metaverse. And um, I, I kind of disagree. I actually think where we need to do innovation is on the social side. I think actually I very much lose my mind's eye in, in experiences today, but there's a lot to figure out how to make these experiences be richer from a social perspective. So first part is the experience is immersive and social. Second is um, these experiences need to be contained in an interview in a universe that's vast, right? So you can pop from experience to experience. It's always changing just this dynamic kind of, vast universe. And um, what that implies to us, and, and certainly certainly this is Roblox perspective, that means that the metaverse is co-created by its community or with its community, right? It, it can't be vast if it's not co a co-created phenomenon. And then the third thing is that all these experiences in this universe are integrated with a common fabric. And that fabric has a couple different dimensions to it. You know, it has a common identity framework. You're the same person. Uh, it has a social graph, right? Um, I, I, I go around with my friends. Uh, it has an economy. I'm able to, to buy, sell, make a living across these different experiences. And lastly, there's some notion of safety and civility. There's rules of order, right? If, if you're going to create a civilization, it can't be chaos. It has to be built on a framework of rules. So those we think are as the three main components uh, with, with the sub-elements being kind of part of that. How's that? That's great. That's fantastic. So, so just to... Just to kind of reiterate what you said, number one, it's immersive and social. Number two, it's a vast universe co-created by its community. And three, it has a common fabric, which goes across three kind of key pillars, identity, economy, and safety. Awesome answer. I want to, I want to double click on the, on the, on the, the second part of my question, which is what do you guys believe that the metaverse isn't? Because and I'm reason, the reason we're asking is because 
not only over the last year, the metaverse became a phenomenon as a term, but especially a lot of people on the back of Facebook announcing themselves as meta. There is a growing population around the world who essentially think of the metaverse as something you access through VR goggles. And obviously in these podcasts, we very much um, do not believe that that's the case. The, the metaverse is not a device. What, what do you guys think that the metaverse is? Well, this is? gets back to the point I'm just making that first thing, which is experience need to be immersive, but you don't need VR for it to be an immersive experience. So, um, you know, half of our users are accessing Roblox via their phone. And when you were talking to them, they very much feel that they're, you know, they're, they're immersed, they're, their mind's eye is in the experiences they're in. So I think, you know, 3D experiences vi- viewed through a screen are sufficiently immersive. That said, the immerse, you know, it'll get better and better with, uh, with more immersion, right? So um, I think it's great. And we think that in the future, VR will absolutely be part of the metaverse. But I think the types of experiences that, that people are having to can absolutely exist outside of VR. That's awesome. And, you know, I think one of the big drivers for Roblox and you guys have highlighted it a lot is these, you know, simultaneous viral loops that you have going on, the content viral loop and then the user viral loop. And, you know, the pandemic was horrible for lots of reasons, but I think for Roblox, it was such an interesting and the timing was so perfect because you've been building this platform for 16 years. And, you know, that first iteration of users from maybe a decade or plus ago are now the creators and developers. And then when you have this surge of demand for virtual social interaction, you know, you put lots of, you all of a sudden have this population of creators that's hitting their stride at just the right time. Now you have this surge of engagement. Those viral loops just kick into overdrive, you know? So, and and, and one of the drivers amongst that that we've seen and it, and it really pushed over in the last quarter was the, the shift to the, o- the older audience, you know? Um, you know, where are we on this journey to having broadly a more diverse user base? I think that both encompasses ages and geogra- geographies and, and in kind of, you know, along with those viral loops, anything else that's driving that, that shift in, in diversity in the user base? No, well, we're absolutely harnessing those viral loops to drive the shift towards global adoption, as well as expanding the age demographics. So um, it's, it's very much all about aligning those things. So as, um, for example, with our creators, Right now, discovery is personalized by age. So older users see different content recommended to them. Um, what that means as a creator is you can try to compete with everybody else, or we, we have uh, probably, I don't know, let's see, over half our users are 13. So close to 25 million daily active users that are fairly, you know, older and, and, you know, even the 17 to 24 segments growing super fast. So there's a huge economic incentive to go to that white space and build content for that, 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 uh, that community. So, um, and that just feeds on itself. Then they enjoy it and they want to invite their friends and their friends are about their age. So all this stuff feeds on each other. And I think we, we always try to be very systemic and think about what are the right feedback loops? How do we slowly turn the cranks and such that both the community and users are all kind of walking down this path together. Um, so I think both those things are happening. And I, I talked about this at investor day, but the same sort of thing with global in that if we can localize the content, that makes it attractive to a, a regional audience. Then they invite their friends to play and their friends live locally and it feeds on itself. And now lo and behold, we have a very global uh, developer ecosystem also building content for them. So, uh, you know, I think one of the things that defines Roblox, at least internally from a culture perspective, is this kind of systemic thinking, right? And how do you, how do you look at the loops and how do you make sure that you're really enabling the community, the developer community, the user community to grow in really natural ways? 
And I wanna I want to double click on the geographic expansion and the growth, which obviously we we know by the numbers. Yeah, about two thirds of of the user base of the platform on a daily basis comes from outside North America. Um, three quarters, having said actually, that, yeah. three quarters. So it, it's it's even grown even further. Yeah. And when it comes to the monetization or the revenue, still more than half uh, uh, of the revenue, or even slightly more, comes from the North American audience. What do you think, given the cultural differences between different regions, right? Europeans are not North American consumers and the Asians are not the Europeans. What do you think are some of the cultural differences? How does it impact the monetization opportunity and how Roblox thinks about approaching those differences in providing diversified revenue opportunities for the platform and for creators? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, so first off, um, we try not to fixate or focus too much on revenue. It's about creating engaging experiences. And where we focus our revenue is making sure that our creators can effectively uh, monetize their creations um, and try not to, to, to manhandle that in, in a way. So um, in thinking about making sure that the, 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 the economic pie is growing for our creator community, we've done lots of different things. Um, um, most notably, you know, we have this, this system where they can uh, sell things in their experiences and then cash them out. Uh, we rolled out this thing called engagement-based payouts where they don't even have to sell anything. We'll pay on top of that. That's been particularly useful for enabling creators to self-fund, right? So before they're even ready for monetization, they can create an income stream that helps them scaffold themselves and, and build. And uh, so that's, that's really been our focus. I think there are some things down the road that we can help our creators more effectively monetize, whether that's different price points for buying Robux and regions. There's other things we've discussed, but those are a little bit down the field right now. Yeah, I do. I do. I do want to call out to our audience just to unpack what, what you said, Greg, about the engagement revenue, just for everyone to understand. This is engagement revenue, which is a phenomenal revenue and, 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 and it's very important for, for Super Social, for example, as a developer. It's essentially revenue that comes directly to games that are engaging the, pu- the premium subscribers of the platform, which, which is also growing relatively fast, right? The, the premium subscribers, Greg, right? Yep. And why that's important is, is that, um, you know, as when, if you think about the lifetime of a creator, especially as they produce an experience, you're not going to be able to monetize it right in the beginning. The thing you should be focusing on in the beginning is product market fit with engagement. And then, then once you get a critical mass of users, you focus on monetization. So how, how do we help those creators in the early stage? And this is, this is really the motivation for um, engagement-based payouts, which creates a self-funding mile, uh, ability for, for creators. And it's been, I think, particularly effective. And we think, you know, again, back to kind of what, what makes Roblox Roblox, you know, we could have taken a bunch of money and, and created a, like a VC fund and given it out to people. But that's us picking winners and losers. And we, we don't really believe in that. We believe in, in systems and feedback loop. And if we, if we, if we can create a system like engagement based payouts, it creates an even playing field for all, all creators. And, and I do, I do want to recognize, and I've been kind of obviously talking publicly a lot about Roblox. I, I do think that the, what's, what's always continued to be impressive about the platform is that egalitarian view and, and the way you, you guys kind of approach the development of the platform, which, has also been really staying true to kind of the core and the, re- the origins of the platform uh, all the way to its founding moment. So, you know, this is definitely great. And, and I agree that especially with a long tail of developers, create translating egalitarian kind of opportunity 
in the form of engagement revenue, right? Which is essentially the better your game and the more engaging it is, the more you'll be rewarded by the platform exactly. versus monetization, which is more about purchasing items and accessories in game. But on the on the point of purchasing items and accessories and branded content, you know, I think, you know, if we just think about interactive entertainment broadly, historically, you know, North America, Western Europe have always monetized very strongly, but that's a very small percentage of the global population of the user base. You expand into Latin America, India, Southeast Asia, where these experiences are in high demand, but the per capita income isn't there to support the revenue from in-game purchases. But we've seen Roblox be very successful recently, just today launching with Nike, these branded experiences, this branded content. You know, can you just talk about how that fits into your strategy of you know, overall improving the ecosystem and the economy of Roblox. And, you know, as Kathy Hackle, who we've had on the podcast, likes to call it this direct to avatar push in, 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 the, in the metaverse. Well, let me, let me just break this up and then maybe we, I didn't fully understand the last part of your question, but we'll, we'll figure it out. So the first part is, you know, certainly as we expand to different regions, the, um, the average daily revenue per user will decline, right? That, that, that's, that's a trend that we're, we are seeing and likely to see. But the total available pool of revenue per creator is going up. And that's the most important thing. And, and we try to make it as easy as possible for a creator to, you know, we, we, with, once they publish their experience, they can publish it across device. But we also, through things like machine translation and some of our compliance framework, we maybe make it really easy for them to publish on a global stage. So I think the focus here is even though, you know, our, our, our DAO, uh, average revenue per daily users it may go down. As long as the total pool goes up, it's good for the community. And that's great for players, right? So that's that part of it. Um, I think the second question you talked a little bit about was um, brands coming on the platform and what will that do to the ecosystem? We really want to treat brands just like another creator in an ecosystem. They get the same revenue splits, the same access to everything as our creators do. Everyone's treated equally. So um, how will this um, benefit our creators? Well, in two ways. One is that as brands want to promote their experiences, they can, they can work with um, creators to get distribution or show off their IP. So an example would be Jailbreak working with NASCAR to show off NASCAR IP or um, an instance where when we did the In the Heights promotion for Warner Brothers, they put sponsored portals all over the place and brought users into the experience. So that enabled creators to benefit from the fact that the brand was on the platform. And the second way that creators are making money is by working directly with the brands. So if um, you know Nike or, or other companies want to create a presence on our platform, we're happy to introduce them to creators on our platform so that they could collaborate and create experiences on our platform. And I think that that, that benefits everyone. Because as we, as we approach this, it's really not about getting five to 10 brands on our platform. Our goal is to get 10,000, 100,000 brands on our platform. And that only happens when we get out of the way and we let our community work with these brands. I mean, Yon and I both agree that every company is going to need a chief metaverse officer in some fashion, whether it's officially called a chief metaverse officer or not. They will need within their marketing department someone who is the you know, the, the, uh, the person pushing them to create these experiences and really change how they think about their go-to-market going forwards. And I think, you know, you know, as part of that, as, as Roblox, you talked about this egalitarian approach. Do you think, you know, a lot of that burden, as, as you talked about, will be working with creators and the companies that will do it themselves? Or do you think this is a place where Roblox can step in and become a full service, you know, advertising partner and actually help build these experiences for them? I know one thing, we will not build it for them. Right. So my guess is it's likely to happen in um, 
one of three ways. And initially, it's going to mainly be driven through the community. Second is over time, I would expect ad agencies to be able or other agencies that build websites or your managed social media presences to take on these capabilities. They'll learn how to do this. And then some companies will bring it in-house. And I think this, this feels a lot like um, the early days of social, right? Where at first people didn't really know, and they bring some people in that kind of know it. And then eventually they bring these capabilities in-house. Because ultimately what we're talking about is how do you want to engage your community of fans or your community of users? And you could simply share pictures with them, or you can create a rich experience and actually interact with them. So it's, it's, just, it's a much deeper, richer form of community interaction. And that's, that's what this is really all about. And what I think is exciting about a company like Nike is, you know, Nike's been thinking about this for a long time in terms of retail. They're the king of experiential retail with things like superstores. Now they can do it without any physical constraints in the metaverse. So it'll be exciting to see what they do. And, and I want to double click on that for, from another angle. And, you know, we've seen the investor day, one of the slides from uh, Roblox's VP of brand partnerships, Christina, that within in the next three to five years, every brand will need a Roblox strategy. And, and so, you know, I think you've mentioned something really interesting, which is those three potential modalities of how experiences for brands will be built. And obviously, you know, a lot of people are thinking about how Roblox as a platform ages up and so on and so forth. Building a game world or, or a virtual world that is dedicated to that brand is obviously a, 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 not an insignificant effort, right? You need to have that sort of gameplay experience. It's, it's not as simple as just creating a Facebook page in the days of uh, when Facebook just started. It needs to be interactive. It needs to be engaging. How much are you seeing alongside that? And how much do you think that's an opportunity for brands to not necessarily only build their own dedicated experiences, but also similar to what you've mentioned with uh, Jailbreak and their partnership. Obviously, you know, we at Super Social have done that with MGM's Adam's Family too. How much do you think there is a possibility of brands integration into existing experiences and how Roblox plans to enable some of that long tail opportunities for creators and for the brands? Yeah, I think that I think you're, you're catching an interesting point, which is this idea of everyone has a metaverse world for their brand is going to take a while to pan out. And I think there's really three uh, distinct modalities here. And the first is, is could, could be one of two things. It's either a brand integration, like NASCAR putting their cars into jailbreak, or it could be simply producing gear and selling it on our platform, whether that be in an experience or directly through us. So, you know, how we started with Gucci is them producing gear, right? Um, and that these are, these are simple things to do, um, but they're very engaging. You know, for example, when we work with the NFL, for the Super Bowl last year, people could dress up as their as their favorite uh, football player, which was wonderful because in the metaverse, when you're when you're when you're doing something like that, you're expressing your identity with that brand. Moreover, as you're walking around, you're sharing it with all your friends. I mean, that's that's a wonderful uh, way to show brand engagement. So that's kind of the first modality. I think most people will start there. The second is what we think of as ephemeral or event based experiences. And I think that, you know, a lot of entertainment companies, this is predominantly where they'll be, where I'm promoting a new movie, I'm promoting a concert. It doesn't need to be a full-fledged experience. It needs to be something that will engage users for a week or two, right? So it's, it's pretty, you know, there's a certain, it's less complex. And then, um, and again, Gucci then went from building gear to, to doing Gucci Garden, which was an ephemeral experience. And then I think once people start to experience that, some brands start to realize, wow, I want to have an ongoing presence. And that's a very big commitment. Because just like, you know, with Instagram, 
you know, you wouldn't just throw up a couple of photos and say, I've got an Instagram presence. You're committing to actually an ongoing relationship, an ongoing publishing thing. So that's a pretty high bar. So I think this idea of everyone having a persistent presence in the metaverse, that will take a while to, to pan out. And that may not be something that all brands want to do. Yeah, and true. And, you know, obviously there is the live operation side of thing, right? You don't just launch a brand and boom, it's done. It's, I mean, That's if right. you look at Vans, it needs to be, consi- the reason it's persistent is because it's always on, it's live, it's 24 seven, 365. It needs treatment. It needs a team and yes. that require resources that I think these brands are just starting to understand what it all means. Right. And that's why a lot of them are, are creating, you know, long, ongoing relationships with the creator community. It's not a one and done thing. They're, they're building relationships with creators to, to build, maintain and operate the experiences. Yeah. I want to shift gears to something that I'm personally excited about with the metaverse because I'm a huge live music fan and that's live music and concerts. And, you know, the, the concert industry is $30 billion, you know, before COVID, you know, it's a huge market and, you know, for those that are listening that don't know the economics of the music industry, artists don't get paid from Spotify unless you're like Taylor Swift. You get paid from going on tour, which hurts your body. It hurts your family. But with the metaverse platforms, you know, there's there's obviously Roblox, there's Fortnite, there's others that are doing just live music. You know, the ability to reach millions of people simultaneously is huge for their ability to to really shift the economics of that whole industry. You know, I can only imagine that artists are just coming to you all the time looking for opportunities to work with you and others in in the industry. But, you know, you know, one thing that, you know, what we've seen so far for the most part has been more of these kind of gamified music experiences and not necessarily like a live ticketed concert. You know, I want to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, is that something that we really want to push towards away, you know, away from these gamified experiences and more towards really live virtual concerts and and kind of, you know, maybe if you could, you know, ask you to put a, a figure on it, but you know, when do you think we'll hit a, hit a point in time where we'll have like a 10 million user concurrent user concert inside of Roblox. Cause I, you know, that's the day that I'm waiting for to be super excited about. You know, it's interesting. I, 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 I do, I'm interested in when we see the big concerts. I, I think the thing that, that gets me more excited is how do we enable every artist to have Roblox be a, a stop on their concert tour? Right. So how do we do it at scale? And again, this gets back to the conversation earlier, which is how can any creator host a concert in their experience for an artist or help an artist create their own experience. Like that to me is, is, is the big thing now. So a lot of what we're doing with these, with our concerts is trying to understand number one, what's the, how, what, how does this format work? Cause when you're throwing a concert in the metaverse, I, I no longer have physical constraints. I, I can create this crazy looking experience. You know, instead of just standing there listening to the concert, I can do it while I'm jumping on a trampoline or floating around in a river and, and a giant floatable swan. Like, I don't know that that's kind of cool. Um, we can make sure that everyone has VIP seats. We can, we're experimenting with how the artists might want to interact with fans. So I think this is a very early format. One of the nice things about figuring out how to do it at scale means that we can enable lots of innovation to happen, right? I think we're really, I mean, we're kind of playing around with it. It's kind of like a music video kind of game kind of thing, but it, we want to unleash this thing and just see where everyone's creativity takes it. Because I think it's going to go in a million different directions, and I think that's exciting to see. Um, so that that's kind of what we're what we're very much focused on is, you know, um, and we did the same thing with brands. We worked really closely with a handful of brands to really understand what were they trying to do, what changes did we need to, need to make to the platform to enable this to happen at scale, and then let the partner and the community creativity really unleash and 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 see where this goes. Because I think you're right. One one of the things that I think is interesting about 
two things about music, right? One is, is that what you listen to is such an indication of who you are, right? Like in, in kind of, so the question we're kind of experimenting with is like, hmm, what do you do with that? Like, you know, who, who you listen to is a, an expression just like what you wear in some ways more so, right? So I think that's an interesting vein for us to explore. And the second is, is like, it's such a social experience. And so much listening has gone to us listening to headphones and being a solo experience. How do we remake it be a social experience? And people right now go to, I'm like you, I go to a lot of concerts, but for most people, they'll go to maybe, maybe one or two concerts a year. How do we make that something that they're constantly doing with their friends, right? So, um, that's what we're super excited about. And I'm happy to, to spend more time talking about the different initiatives, but, but that's, how, that's how I would frame the opportunity ahead of us. I think one thing that, that I'm curious about, you know, for now, these experiences and all experiences pretty much are, for the most part, are free to access, right? And, and I'm curious if, if, you know, down the pipeline, you know, we start to see ticketed events. Because I think for the biggest artists that really have that, that draw, you know, obviously for the, for the smaller artists, you know, obviously, you know, they can work with creators and create something to get, you know, just another stop on the tour, as you said. But I think for these bigger artists, like I know Justin Bieber is doing a concert as we are recording right now on a different platform, you know. I could see an opportunity for that to become a, a multi-billion opportunity for the for the artists themselves, you know, just by very small tickets. Sure, I think we're going to see we're going to see tickets. We're going to see um, you know people free, and then people buying you know virtual merchandise as upsells. I think we're going to see all different types of formats. Like I think this is going to be um, a crazy couple of years of innovation in the music industry as they figure out this format. One of the hurdles or the bottlenecks to create a very long list of experiences, right? Really enabling, as you said, Craig, earlier, you want to enable any creator, a brand, an artist, really to come in and very easily at scale to build these experiences. At the moment, obviously, the, a bottleneck for that is, is being able to build on the Roblox platform. And so one of two things in, in, in sort of, in my mind, needs to happen, right? It's like a a growing community, continuing to grow the already exceptional community of developers on the platform, which will need to continue and grow into the millions and connecting those opportunities between brands and creators, which you guys are already doing. The other thing, which I'm curious about, whatever you are able to share, is there a thinking at, at this software level of how there is a no-code, low-code type of approach where really anyone with very simple coding skills can come in and without necessarily coding in Luau um, will be able in a much more simple plug-and-play plug way to create these experiences. This, is, this may, may not be a, a trivial answer, but I, I'm very curious about that. Well, certainly making that, that easier to do is certainly a big focus for ours. And I can't get into the specifics, but I can highlight two things that we talked about at Investigate or that we showed. One was some of the stuff that, that came out of the Loom AI technology, which is expressive avatars, right? So simply by looking at this camera, we're mapping your face and bringing that avatar to life, which is all about, again, using the camera to create emotion and, and animation on the fly. And there was another, I think, um, demo that we showed, which again, used the camera. And as you were dancing, it automatically applied it to the skeleton and actually um, animated the um, avatar. So I think both those are examples where we're, we're using, for example, a webcam to enable animation, both high fidelity animation in terms of the face as well as a skeletal movement. So, um, you know, I can't really comment on it more than that, but, um, you know, I think those are great steps in the right direction. 
we normally don't publish the video of these podcasts, but you know, I think we might have to make an exception this time because for those listening, Craig was just dancing while he was going through that answer, and it was it was it was quite awesome. Yeah, there he goes. Um, you know, I I I, I want to you know shift gears again and talk about something that I think is really important, not just for Roblox, but I think for every company and its culture. And it's something Dave talked about at length at the Investor Day. And you guys have talked a lot about And, you know, I tweeted about this afterwards and I got some inbounds from VCs that invested in Roblox like way back in like 2008. And they're like, this is the secret sauce. As, as he called it, the Roblox operating system. You know, it's the culture, it's the people. That is the product of Roblox, as he said. That's what makes our our system and that's what makes us successful. And, and it's so prescient in the interactive entertainment, technology, just in the world right now, given that what we're seeing at a company down in Southern California is is really, you know, terrible to see and things like that. And so, you know, if you could just talk about, you know, as a senior leader in the organization, you know, how you build the team, how you build the culture and how that is enabling all of this success that you're seeing right now. Yeah, I, it's certainly a very distinctive environment to work in. Um, and it's, it's really built around a focus on innovation, um, which obviously a lot of companies want to innovate, but to just go even a little bit more specific into it, I think there's probably two components that stand out in my mind. One is there's just a lot of integrity about just do the right thing. It may take you a lot longer. It may be difficult. In fact, you may not even know how you're going to get it done, but take the long view and do the right thing. Right. And and it's, it's, it's hard. A lot of people come in and like, well, we could do this little shortcut here and that will help us. Get, and like, no, like what's the right thing to do and do that. And, you know, that's, that comes out in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, what speaks to me a lot of this is just a lot of the work we do around civility and safety and thinking about how human beings come together in productive ways. And this stuff is really, really hard, but it's really, really important. And it's that kind of, that sense of integrity and kind of a commitment to, the big future ahead that I think is, is one element. And I think the second element that kind of facilitates that is this systems thinking, right? How do we, how do we design systems? So for example, um, we have uh, the role, the Roblox operating system is actually a document, right? And it has all of our values and we have all of our principles. And we, when we approach a decision, not only do we take the long view, but we always start and go, what are the principles behind this decision? Let's, let's talk about them. And then we just think about, the systems that we're building and make sure that they scale. So for example, one of the principles is we try not to curate, right? Curation is a bad word in our, in, in our, in our company. Uh, what's better than curating is, is crowdsourcing. But what's even better than crowdsourcing is developing an autonomous system that can actually regulate itself. So we really, really try to focus always on how do we design a system that enables us to scale? Right. So it would be so easy, for example, for my partnership team that's working on brand partnerships to just cut a lot of brand deals. But, you know, our job, that's not their job. Their job is to actually find partners to work with us to help us design a self-sustaining system. That's their job. Right. And then, then we're out of the way. You know, we sh they shouldn't be doing partnerships after a certain point in time. They should be evangelizing it in, in verticals. So I think it's this relentless focus on take the long view, even if it's harder. And then second is, and then think about how do we build self-sustaining systems um, that will enable us to get there. And it, and it comes through everything. And in fact, um, one of the cool things, again, we talked about this at, uh, at Investor Day is we acquired a company called Embellus. And Embellus, um, you know, prior to us acquiring them, worked with companies at McKinsey. And what they did was they created, using gaming technology, they enabled um, us to assess certain skills, like cognitive skills, but also how good is someone at systems thinking? 
and risk behavior and all these sorts of things. Now what we do is we take all the people, the college, uh, the college applicants, and we don't really care if you went to Harvard or a local community school. You, everyone is, everyone goes through these tests, which are actually implemented in Roblox and they're building robots and doing all these things. And we're looking at how good of a system sneaker on us. So that, that's, that, for example, is a long view systemic way about how we're addressing diversity. And inclusion, right? We want to open our process up to anyone and create a level playing field for everyone. And to do that, we need to take a we need, need to approach take a systems based way of doing assessment uh, that's aligned with our values and culture. So it's a very long answer to your question. You can tell I'm very passionate about it, but it really runs through everything we do: recruiting and building the metaverse. We we do it all the same way. I love that answer, and I, I appreciate that you went into depth because you know, as I as I was saying, it's it's just super important how you build the culture is almost more important to success than the actual product in many cases, and it really comes through with Roblox. Absolutely, thank you. I want to just echo what what you said, Craig, and you know, obviously as a as as a company builder myself, this is probably one of the most difficult things to do: building a culture, building an organization, do that at scale, and. And for those who don't know, just a year, a year and a half ago, Roblox was about 800 or 850 people uh, full time. Craig, how many are you now? 15, 1600, 14? They, they're about, see, about 1600. Yeah, we, we grew significantly during uh, COVID. Yeah. And, and, and when I talk to people and, and, and you can, you, you definitely should not comment on, on, on my own estimation, but when I talk to people and I tell them, look, Roblox is $60 billion company. Well, now it's, it's more than 70 given the growth of the last couple of weeks, but when you look at a company like that executing with, you know, 15, 1600 people, it, it is obvious that the company will continue to grow very fast. It's headcount to, to deliver on your ambition and having those principles, that core culture is, is, is critical for success. Um, and, you know, there is a book that I really like. I'm a big fan and I recommend it to every entrepreneur and a company builder out there written by Ben Horowitz called, you know, what you do is who you are. And what is really important about that is not just the notion of the company building is ultimately the products that are being built. And I think, again, you see that with Roblox as well. The products you build are going to be a reflection of the culture of the company. These are not two different things. The company is a product and, and the product that the company builds are a sub product of the product. Yeah. Well, how I've often said it is the, the outward manifestation of culture is your brand. I mean, and they're just, it's a flip side of the same thing. I, I totally agree with you. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So great, great. Thank you for digging in on that. Switching gears to something slightly different and uh, obviously a bit controversial controversial at the moment. Um, at times might even be uh, uh, a, a bit sort of a combining skepticism with, 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 with sense of excitement. And we don't have to go deep, but it, it is something that is being discussed a lot at the moment. And, and again, in the wider conversation of the metaverse, there is now a lot of conversation around decentralized identity, decentralized systems. You know, people have started to call it Web3, which, to be honest, to Matthew and I on, on this podcast, um, it's all kind of part of the wider evolution of the Internet, right? With, with the metaverse, with this immersiveness, with a sense of identity. Um, and so obviously there is more concrete technologies like NFTs 
that are coming into place. And again, there is some skepticism and a lot of optimism. Um, but really for us, it's what, what, what it really describes again is the ability for people to have more participation in what they're, what they're doing, more ownership in what they do play and, 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 and experience over the internet, building, having a sense of belonging and being part of communities. And you see that a lot at the moment with, you know, DAOs and NFTs, com- NFT communities. What is sort of at the moment, the, the, just the high level approach and, and any kind of uh, the, the perception of that reality at the moment from, from the Roblox landscape, both as a company and as a philosophy. And I do want to call something out that I have seen. Talking about decentralization is not just about necessarily blockchain. There are principles that are important. And, and we, you have announced at RDC that there's going to be uh, soon introducing limited items with, with royalties that will be paid to the people who created that. And so this is why for us, what's interesting is how does Roblox think about these principles and potentially integrating some of them into the Roblox platform without, quote unquote, becoming a decentralized platform? Sure. Yeah, we, we could do a whole podcast on this, I think. So <laughs> what I would say is um, a couple of things. One is, is that independent of the mechanism used to do it, right? Blockchain protocols, right? A lot of the, 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 the great things about this is it enables um, decentralized creator communities, right? And that's kind of that's what we're all about, right? I mean, we have a creator communities all over the place. You know, if you look at... Um, a lot of our, our experiences, they have their own coins already. There's lots of, I think, overlaps, right? You know, as I think about it, you know, today I think about other things we could learn and do better using the existing platform we have, like the techniques we have. The question is, is in the long run, like how, how, how you know, how does that impact who Roblox is? And I think that, that remains to be seen. And I think like right now, a lot of, a lot of this stuff is all about um, like things like, for example, NFTs are all about interoperability. And I think right now where we are is just trying to get the stack working and, and, and really manifesting this bigger vision around. And, and the, the best way we can do that right now is on our stack and doing everything and pulling all these pieces together because it's a very deep, complex stack to enable synchronous real-time interactions. with. It's not just simply distributing a file, right? And it, it's, it's super complex. So I think the thing for us you know, right now is we have a lot of work to do making all this stuff work. And I think we're very much embodying these decentralized, empowered creators as in, from a principal perspective. I think down the road, you know, will we eventually support NFTs? So people, I, I, I suspect we will, right? I don't see why we wouldn't do stuff like that. But I think interoperability and those sorts of things are probably a little bit more mature. And, and the metaverse is more mature. Uh, I think right now we're still in the, I don't know, if it, we're probably still early in the first inning building all this stuff. And I think it's it's it, we've we've still got some fundamental work to do getting all the pieces and the scaffolding built before we we think about all these kind of interoperabilities with different metaverses and all that kind of other stuff. But but I agree from a principled perspective, it's it's fascinating and very much aligned with the Roblox point of view. And I do want to say to to the listeners of this podcast that one of the things that you know, Craig, as you said, that some of these things do exist already on the Roblox platform. When you talk about interoperability. Right. I suspect that very soon, either from dedicated experiences, uh, people are going to be users are going to be able to move around with their items, with their shirt items. There's already different currencies. And so within the Roblox ecosystem, there is a thriving kind of decentralized environment already. Um, and, and, and probably among all the quote unquote closed platforms that exist today, uh, in, in, in my opinion, Roblox is probably really well positioned to actually adopt 
more of those decentralization in the future because it's kind of embedded in the info, in the way you've been building the platform. Correct, correct. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, you, if you wanted to sell things in your game, they only exist could exist in your game. As we talked about in Investor Day, now you're going to be able to build things that can go anywhere on Roblox. So absolutely. Um, I think from a principles and a kind of a vision aligned perspective, I think we're really kind of doing doing those things. And one other thing you mentioned that I think is a really important point for our listeners to drive home, particularly as there's a company out there that's trying to really monopolize the narrative around the metaverse by changing their name, is that, you know, as you said, we are in the first inning. This is a a long stretch to get to this vision of, you know, fully immersive, you know, uh, thanks, basically. And, you know, we uh, I just I did an analysis for our, our, our readers on, on Bloomberg Intelligence and companies mentioned the term metaverse 449 times in third quarter earnings transcripts. That's up from 100 last quarter. So, you know, although it's early days for the development, it's definitely not for the hype cycle. And so it's really important that I think you said that because, you know, we do need to separate out the the substance from the hype, because I think long term we're going to look back and be like people are underestimating this. I, I agree. And I think it's going to be it's going to be a social revolution, right? The ability to actually do anything with anyone anywhere at any point in time. Like, cause I even remember again, just to, I'm, I'm, I'm old. If, if they can't see the video, I'm old. And I remember like when the internet started it, right. And the web and it was all information and, and everyone was just taking little representations of the yellow pages. And people don't even remember what that is and bringing them on, on the web. Right. And now, like the ability to have access to the world's information on my phone at any point, like I, we couldn't even comprehend that. And I think this is the situation we're going to enter a period where it's going to fundamentally alter how human beings inter- interact. And I think this this is why I think it's actually I think people are actually underestimating how transformational it's going to be because we can't we can't even wrap our head around how how much it is. And I think one, one last thing and I know we're running over time is is that what's interesting about this is that we. We think there's actually a generational divide as it relates to the metaverse that kids that grew up with, you know, internet based gaming, right? They view the world, they view reality differently than we do. And that's where we always try to see it through their eyes, right? They don't see like the metaverse and, and the real world as distinct things, right? They're just, they see it as kind of a different, like just part of reality, right? Like just a different dimension of reality. They're always in both things. So I think, you know, um, there's there's fundamental stuff going on and what we call us, the colonists. We're kind of trying to understand it, but it's it's truly kind of a different way of, of, of living your life and viewing reality. So we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. And by the way, just to articulate Craig's point, which I fully agree with, when my 11 year old niece wants to hang out with me, she texts me on WhatsApp. We do a call, but we play on Roblox. That's how we hang out. We hang out on Roblox. We just use WhatsApp. And I hope that the voice chat and all the voice tech at some point is going to also be usable by those kids. This is where it's all becoming one cohesive experience. And this is where we're heading. This is the first metaverse native generation. Yes, that's, the, it, that's right. And that's why I think, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the reasons why I think why Roblox had such success is we started with that generation. Like this is our generation and, and we're growing up with them. And, and I think for the investors who are who are uh, uh, considering uh, the, the Roblox prospect as as, a, as an investment, th- this is something to really understand when you talk about other platforms, competitors, the wider landscape. There's two fundamental things that I believe are really unique about Roblox, um, and we can we can wrap up with that, Matthew. Uh, I'll let you kind of do the the finale. But th- those two things to me are number one. 
this metaverse native generation that that Roblox has always served that core audience. And number two, potentially even more unique, probably one of the most, if not the most, dedicated, passionate, capable developer community um, that that builds an infinite amount of experiences. Um, these are things that Roblox worked on for a decade and a half to really establish. And these are not things that are easy uh, at all to, to emulate in any platform and for any company at any size. And again, without using names. So with that, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up. Thank you so much, Craig, for joining us. That was Craig Donato, the chief business officer of Roblox. And I'm just going to leave us with, with, a, with one last line. You know, you talked about there's trillion dollar companies out there then social. I don't know the date. I, I do think at some point Roblox will be a trillion dollar company just because, you know, they are going to be a dominant player in the next version of the internet. Mm-hmm.